Good morning and welcome as we uh, continue our series on worship and looking at uh, what worship is, why worship is important. And now moving into our third lesson, which I'll go ahead and give you a spoiler alert. This lesson is going to be a two-part lesson. Today we're going to do part one, and next week we're going to do part two. And we're going to be looking at the question of how do we go about worship? The first thing I think for us is that's important is to recognize something of where we come from on this topic. Many of us were taught something about worship, and it was probably similar to what we're about to run through. Probably some variation of this. It probably went along these lines. The New Testament church sets a precedent for worship by calling us to engage in five acts of worship. We read in scripture that we are to sing, Ephesians 5, 19, speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and, and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Second, we're told we are to pray. Acts 2, 42, they all gave full attention to the teaching of the apostles, to the common life, to the breaking of bread, here it is, and the prayers. Third, we're to partake in communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 through 26, this you see is what I received from the Lord and I handed it on to you. On the night when Jesus, the Lord, was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he said, this is my body and it is for you. Do this as a memorial of me. He did the same with the cup after supper and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink this, do this as a memorial of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Fourth, we read that we are to take a collection, a collection for the work of the church, for the saints and for those in need. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2. Now, when it comes to the collection for God's people, you should do the same as I laid down for the churches in Galatia. On the first day of each week, every one of you should set aside and store up whatever surplus you have gained so that when I come, I won't have to take an actual collection then. And finally, fifth, we are to study the scriptures. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16, let the king's word dwell richly among you as you teach and exhort one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with grateful hearts. Well, not only that, but we read in scripture and we've been taught through our, our, our historical learning that um, there's a time that worship occurs. Acts 20 and verse 7 says, on the first day of the week we gathered to break the bread. And we believe from this that Paul was intending to leave the following morning and he engaged them in discussion and he went on talking right up until midnight. So says the text. Now, this formula was an easy, comfortable way for us to understand and define, put a box around the concept of worship. So over time, we began to believe that these five actions done on the right day constitutes the complete picture of what worship is. In short, these things this way are worship. Now, there are certain and special actions that done at the right time create this thing called worship. This is what we talk about, this thing called worship, on actions on the right time. But is that a complete picture? Is that all that the Bible teaches us about worship? This morning, we're going to put this to the test. Let's take these two topics of time and actions. And are these intrinsically, uh, these intrinsic acts of worship, they are intrinsic acts of worship. I was raised to believe that the action and time is what made a box around worship and defined it. And I've always believed that an action when done uh, is done and, and how it's done and when it's done defines worship. But the Bible does not define worship by action and time. But instead, the Bible uses a different set of words. 
Let's start with action. Let me ask you this way. Is there a way that you could be sitting in a church service on a Sunday morning singing a worship hymn and not be worshiping? Or could be worshiping? Let's look at that. Can you worship in that case? Of course you can. We see examples throughout the New Testament of that. Likewise, you could be sitting in a church on a Sunday morning singing hymn and it not be worshiping. We see examples of that as well. Take, for example, 1 Corinthians 14, 15. Why is it important, Paul says? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the mind as well. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the mind as well. You'll notice that on your study guide, by the way. Paul tells us that we must be singing with our spirit and mind. So let's take that and look back at our situation. If we're sitting there on a Sunday morning and we're worried about work, we're distracted, we're idly mouthing words, we're not worshiping in spirit. We're not worshiping with our mind. Therefore, we're really not worshiping. So it is possible to sing on a Sunday and be worshiping to God. But it's also possible to do that same action at the same time and it not be worshiped. So the act of singing is not in and of itself always worship. It is the partner, the partnership process with God of mind and spirit within the context of singing that defines worship. And this stands true with all the other parts of worship as well. Consider what Paul says about the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 27 and 28. He says, It follows from this that anyone who eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone should test themselves. And that's how you should eat the bread and drink the cup. You see, what he's saying is it's possible to worship by taking the Lord's Supper. But it's also possible to do the same action at the same place at the same time and it not be worshipped. This verse says that the action can be done the right way, which is worship, or the wrong way, which is guilty. It is once again about the mind and the spirit in partnership of that moment with God. The Lord's Supper is an act of worship, but it's not always done in a way that results in worship. You see, we've been conditioned to believe that the action defines the worship, but it's not exclusively the action, but it's the spirit behind the action and the mind of the action. Now, let me add this. I'm not trying to shake your understanding of these acts of worship being significant to the Christian. Don't don't miss this. I'm not saying that these things are not important to do. I'm saying these things are very important to do. But I'm saying these things are very important to do the right way. And as is true with all acts of worship, they need to be done in spirit and truth. They need to be done in mind and spirit. So let's move to the next category. We looked at action. Now let's look at time, specifically the time and place of worship. Many of us were raised to believe that worship has to be done on and exclusively done on Sunday. And most of us think Sunday morning for that matter. And it has to be done in a specific place for that specific purpose. And we connect this back to how it seems that Luke gave us a precedent of when to worship in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7. He said this, on the first day of the week, we gathered to break bread and Paul was intending to leave the following morning. He was engaged in discussion with them, which is probably preaching, and he went on talking up until midnight. Now we know for sure it's preaching. Sure, it's true that people would meet on the first day of the week. They did meet on the first day of the week. But does this mean that only this day makes it worship? Let's put it to the test. If I pray on a Sunday and I am praying in spirit and in mind, am I worshiping? Clearly, yes. If I pray on a Sunday, but I'm not doing it in spirit and mind, is it worship? No, it's not. Likewise, if I spend time on a Tuesday engaged in meaningful time of prayer with God, partnering with him in the context of prayer, is it not worship just because it's the third day of the week instead of the first? 
Does this mean that back in the day when we had Wednesday night Bible studies, that we didn't worship despite the fact we were doing some of the same actions we do on Sunday? When we meet together and sing together and pray together and study together, does it only worship when it happens on a Sunday? What would it be called the rest of the week? No, I don't think that's what Paul was trying to do. Paul actually spends a lot of time talking to us about this. And he's trying to get us to break out of this old, broken Jewish mindset that says that, that worship is an exclusive time and place and action in, in, in a certain situation and circumstance. Consider what Paul says in Romans 12. So my dear family, this is my appeal to you by the mercies of God. Listen to this. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Worship like this brings your mind into line with God's. Or, or what about when the author of Hebrews says, in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 15, our part then is this, to bring through him a continual sacrifice of worship to God, that is, mouths that confessed his name, and do so fruitfully. These passages work to paint a picture for us that challenges some of our traditional views on worship. Our lives are to be consistent worship to God, not simply something that happens once a week in a church building. Now, now let me quickly say, this doesn't mean that we should diminish the importance of our weekly meeting together. In fact, the meeting together for worship is of critical importance to being a growing Christian. In Hebrews 10.25, the Hebrew writer warns us about missing out on times of meeting together as a church family. These are critical. These are important. But to use a phrase from our past, we need to speak where the Bible speaks and be silent where the Bible is silent. And here it clearly speaks that we should do certain actions and we should meet regularly on Sunday and we shouldn't miss out on these things and opportunities. But it is silent about it being an exclusive time for true worship to take place. Once again, we see that what defines something as worship is not time, not action, but spirit and mind. And so that challenges us to change the paradigm. Worship is not defined by action and time, but by spirit and mind. In so many ways, the spirit and mind model of worship is so much more difficult than the action and time model of worship. That was simple and clear-cut and easy to put in a box. Before we had it all laid out for us, come to the building at the right day and do the right actions and boom, you've worshiped. But now we have this picture of a lifelong pursuit and endeavor, a moment-by-moment -moment effort to come and partner with God in a special way. The New Testament writers really do not take it easy on us in this regard. They drive home to us over and over how difficult and ambiguous this worship thing is going to be. Listen to some of these examples. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So then whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it for God's glory. 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, they should do so as speaking God's oracles. If anyone ministers, they should do so with the strength which God grants, so that God may be glorified in all things through Jesus, the Messiah, to whom be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. That's worship defined. But perhaps the most challenging of these comes to us in Colossians verse three in, chapter 3, verse 17. Whatever you do, in word or action, do everything in the Lord of the, in the name of the Master Jesus Christ, giving thanks to Him through God the Father. God is calling us into an existence where eating and drinking and serving and ministering and everything we do can be worship. A life that Jesus wanted us to share with Him is a life of worship. He wanted us to have life and to have it full and overflowing, John 10, 10. And all of that constitutes worship. 
<coughs> we're going to wrap this up and, and lead into next week by talking real quickly about what we've covered this week and what we're going to look at next week. To this point, we've kind of challenged the paradigm of worship that many of us have worked within for our lives. It's no longer about action and time, but it's about spirit and mind. But how we do a work, how, how do we reconstruct a picture that's more accurate and more powerful and more in keeping with scripture of what worship is? This is the subject of next week's sermon. We're gonna get there next week, but I'll give you this little sneak peek right now. We're gonna be exploring these five principles that we see in this statement. First principle is worship is that which glorifies God. Second, all creation has gifts and opportunities. Third, God is glorified by his creation using their gifts and opportunities. Four, faithfulness, not grandeur of gift or magnitude of opportunity is what really matters. And number five, that means that worship is a partnership between God and man in the faithful use of his gifts and opportunities used to his glory. You know, if we take those ideas and, and, and next week as we build on those, I think what we're going to find is a much more complete and beautiful and powerful picture of what worship is intended to be and how it can truly enlighten, illuminate, and make a difference in our lives on a daily basis. I'm excited to have that discussion with you next week. But until then, let me challenge you to partner with God in everything you do this week, looking for new and great and deep and wonderful opportunities to come into his presence and to give him worship, to give him glory, and to praise him even in the mundane moments of our everyday life. Let's pray about these things as we close. Dear God, we come before you with a desire to worship you. Help open our minds and hearts so that when we do come together in corporate worship, it is as meaningful and beneficial to us and glorifying to you as it possibly can be. But help us to see moments of daily worship mundane life that has now been transformed and glorified by coming into your presence with partnership. And may those bring you glory as well, God. All this we hold up to you through the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And amen.